The motion picture you are about to see can be called today a fantasy of the future. But one day, maybe not too far distant, audiences will be able to look back on it in the same spirit with which we view pictures about the first covered wagons crossing the plain. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, Two, one, zero. We've been hit. This is how valid is the validity. Episode 11. <laughs> huh? Hey, hey. hey. Zach's been on the phone for so long, he left. He left. He's now gone. Uh, Zach Ward, everybody's our, our guest tonight. He's on your side. Is he still there? Yeah, he's oh. oh, okay, good, good, good. We got Phil and uh, a magician, uh, <laughs> Jack Nicholson, I think is his middle name. Andy's in the house. It's just a magician, just some random dude you found. So I'm just going to say this. Normally I would do a little bit of a monologue or whatever, but I'll just say Spirit Airlines rocks. Vaccine passports only in two states, not happening for sure. I'm moving to Florida. And uh, Hitler drank a Coke. Now let's talk to Zach. How are you, Hello. sir? Look at him. You are you? Uh, how are you? <laughs> I made him wait too long. I'm sorry I made you wait too long. I should have told you 6.45. 6.45. So let's just jump right into it because uh, we kind of been talking a little bit uh, before we started here. But So first off, the movie you're working on right now. I kind of want to talk about you know the writing and, and some of that stuff right now. But you're working on a movie called, I, I love this title, Patsy Lee and the Keeper of the Five Kingdoms, right? Yeah. So you've been acting since for how long 41 years that's insane when when did writing become uh when when did you start the writing process because you started young obviously i'm i'm sure you didn't want to be a writer from well maybe you did i don't know 10 years old or whatever it was i started writing when i was really young um i didn't start writing professionally until 2003 oh wow okay so what 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 is this movie about uh, this movie is uh, starring James Hong. He's uh, if you throw a picture of him up, you can see him in the movie Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. He played Lo Pan. He was in Blade Runner. He has more credits than any other person in the history of Hollywood. He's 92 years old. Uh, he's a Chinese gentleman, um, well renowned throughout um, all film and also with all the, the Asian cultures. And uh, he plays the grandfather to Patsy Lee. He's a curio shop owner. You know, this whole movie is very much stylized like um, the Goonies yeah. meets uh, Jumanji. So <laughs> uh, um, it's done in a in an eighties style homage uh, without being too locked up stylistically in that to uh, ostracize a younger audience. So the idea being that you know people like us, our age group, who love Big Trouble in Little China. Um, they'd recognize James Hong and they'd enjoy this whole genre. And then other kids, the children would enjoy it just because it's a kick-ass movie and a lot of fun. Um, so that's Patsy Lee and the Keeper of the Five Kingdoms. So what, what why, why, the, I mean, what, why that? Because I, I know there's, you, I think I, I saw that there was puppets. It was like puppet oriented. How, how, how are you deciding that this is a movie that you wanted to make at this point? Like what, what? Like what, um, what brought the idea? Well, I, so for me, like I, I grew up loving the dark crystal. Um, 
what's it? The Never Ending Story. Oh my God! Um, Labyrinth, The Goonies, obviously, Big Trouble, uh, The Explorers, all those types of films in the '80s were my the things that I was a fan of as a kid growing up. And I love the combination of practical effects and adventure. So when I say practical effects, like uh, in the original Empire Strikes Back, you see Yoda, and Yoda is a puppet. Uh, somebody's got his hand up his butt and he's talking and he's walking and he's, mm, yes, mm, try a trick. <laughs> right. There is no try, you know, that type of thing. Um, so I always loved the fact that the practical integra- integration with visual effects uh, always made a story more compelling for me. Um, and you don't often get to make something like this uh, at a lower budget because we're, uh, you know, movies that usually are attempting this type of world building are in the 30 to $80 million price point, And we're under a million dollars. So well under a million dollars. So this was um, pulling in what I love and what I'm, I've got experience with. I worked in practical effects for a lot of years uh, with a company called uh, Illusion Industries. They did Bram Circus Dracula and Mrs. Doubtfire and uh, Passions of the Christ and Apocalypto. Um, so I learned a lot about practical effect interaction and integration with uh, film. Um, so I really wanted to do a movie that I thought would that could be uh, timeless and not feel dated and quick and PC and rel- relatively, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not just a, not, one, not just a one and done type thing or not just that, but like, you know, there's certain things that are not iconic. They are, they're pop for a second, you know, like, like Yoda is an iconic character. Um, whatever Netflix just put on for their recent Christmas cavalcade of crap, it is not going <laughs> to last. Right. It's, just, it's, it's whatever's pandering to the, to, to the local uh, conversation about what's correct for people to watch and really leaning in towards pop references as opposed to being iconic. So I wanted to make a film that was um, – something that I loved growing up and I thought that could be done in, in a new style and give it a shot and uh, really test myself as a director, as a writer, and as a producer. So, okay, so I was talking about it a little bit earlier. When, when you look at a blank page and you have mm-hmm. this idea, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what it takes to, to bring your idea to paper and then know when it's time to pull the trigger as far as making the movie? Yeah, it always depends. I mean, like for you as a as a singer songwriter yourself, like um, you might have songs that you're you've been writing for years about your childhood or a breakup that you had with some somebody that you were in love with. Or on the flip side, I could tell you that um, I've got a movie I want you to write for, and I need you to give me a, a score sample for a needle drop. And it's uh, it takes place during a a barn raising, and uh, it's a bunch bunch of uh, uh, Mormons out in Utah putting up a barn. They're a bunch of really nice people, and then they have uh, a big square dance at the end. And I want you to write me a test sample for that song, and I need it next week. And you'd be able to have something for me pretty fast. 
right? Yeah. I mean, is that, that's really the same process? I mean, it is to a certain degree in the sense that like, you know, I've got scripts in my head and on my laptop that I've been working on for years. And then I've got other projects that I can write faster because they become the focus of my career in order to, because there's money behind them and opportunity behind them. So just like if I offered you a job to do music for uh, the movie, you would have something and I had money to pay you, you'd have it done pretty fast. Whereas if it was just your dream of writing a song one day, it might be on the back shelf for a while. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have, I mean, my whole house is full of back shelves. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's the thing that people don't really understand is that, you know, you, you make movies and yet you've got a bunch of films that you want to make and you haven't been able to, uh, even James Cameron, when he did avatar, he wrote avatar, 16 years prior to ever shooting it because the technology wasn't there. So even someone who's like a God in the world of movies, like James Cameron um, has to wait for the right moment in order to strike and make what he wants. So it's all about preparation meets opportunity. So, okay. Again, I, I say though, now, are you making this movie with, did you do that for this movie where you're, you, somebody wanted this, had an idea or this was an idea you had and somebody wanted to do the same thing. So they, they, they want to fund it or did you put so, all this together yourself? Yeah, in this situation, uh, James Hong came to my producing partner, uh, with a script and wanted us to come on board and produce it. And unfortunately the original script was really not good. Um, so at that point in order to, in order to be willing to be involved, it had, because the thing is, look, this, this project has taken much, far longer than we wanted to. Uh, we finished shooting principal photography in December of 2018 and it's now 2021, uh, 2019 and 2020 had massive problems due to James Hong's health. Um, but he's fine now. Um, but when he came to us, you know, the, he had this script that was not good, but he had it financed. And so at that point, we had a conversation with him about what the script needed to be in order to work for uh, a modern market and what we could bring to it as a team with visual effects and with practical effects. And then uh, we sat down, we had a meeting and he agreed that this is what he wanted to do. So we had restructured the script and done a, what we call a page one rewrite where you go, okay, I understand in your original story that you want to have Chinese magic and Chinese magical world, but that's the only thing I'm taking from your original script and the name Patsy. That was like, that was it. That's the only stuff that I uh, transitioned to the new script. And so then I said, okay, so you want this world, uh, you want to go into it and have an adventure and here are the responsibilities that we have to take care of in that process. So here's the outline basically the pitch idea of where we think it should go. And he loved it. So then we started rewriting the script from scratch. I uh, just threw everything else away except the name Patsy and the fact that we we're going to go into a Chinese mythological world. Um, and then we started writing that. We finished writing that in about a month. And then, uh, you know, polished it and polished it and polished it. But that was a process because that that was a priority because it did have financing behind the film in order to get it done. And whilst we were also writing it, I was talking to all my friends who work in practical effects to see what type of uh, assets, uh, puppets and prosthetics 
that they had uh, lying around their back shelves so that we could use those on the cheap and make the movie look really, really good. Right. So that that's another, you know, when you talk about the the prosthetics and, and the things that, you know, the, the, the monetary part of things and then how far you can go with with CGI and all that type of stuff, is there a law of diminishing return in the sense that, you know, there, you, if you if you have a hundred thousand and you had a million, yeah, the million would be great, but two million is not going to make a difference. Is that is that is that is that how this works, or or there's a just a difference between a hundred thousand and a million, or whatever the numbers are, uh, that, like you're talking about, as far as what we, you're, we have a law, we have something called the Iron Triangle in in film production: uh, good, fast, or cheap. And you get two out of three. So if you want good and cheap, it's not fast. If you want cheap and fast, it's not good. If oh, wow. you want good and fast, it's not cheap. So you're always negotiating what your choice is, and you can never beat it. So if you have more money, you can get more done in a short period of time. If you have less money, uh, you can still get amazing things done. It just takes longer. Yeah. Um, you know, if you know people and you've built relationships over 20 years, like we have, we have a Yoda style puppet in the movie. Uh, and I guess when I say puppet, you have to remember it also has an animatronic head so that the eyes are controlled by a remote control and the eyes move back and forth and up and down the mouth moves and it smiles and does all that stuff. Um, and then it's controlled by rods as well as hands. Like it takes like a team of four people to operate this puppet. And that would typically be like a $100,000 puppet by itself. On the flip side, I was able to get it for five grand um, because it's friends of mine and we spent a lot of time getting it looking perfectly. Um, so yeah, money makes things go faster, but, but, but we didn't have a lot of money. So we took more time. So like as far as vision in a movie, yeah. How, how, right. So what, what are, so there, but there still are limits, right? Even if you, even if the triangle is a part of the situation, I mean, you, you still have limits to, if your budget is lower, your vision can't be necessarily the same, or you're saying it, it, that it just takes longer to do, but you can make that vision possible. Yes. To, to the back, like it takes longer to do, but you can make that vision possible. Wow. And also like one of the things that's really fun about filmmaking is how to solve the problem without having to use money. You know, um, hmm. so sometimes it's not what you show, it's what you hear. Uh, say, for example, you're watching a horror film like uh, Freddy, Freddy Krueger horror film, right? right? Um, try turning it off, turning off the music and seeing if it scares you at all. Oh, it usually man. looks pretty ridiculous. Um, yeah. because literally 50% of a movie is sound and people forget that. Like if you watch, if you watch an Avengers movie, Avengers Endgame with the sound off, it's still awesome. I mean, there's so many bells and whistles and lights and doodads and fantastic CGI monsters. It's, it's very shiny and exciting, but most movies, you know, the, the music and the, uh, the score, um, the sound design, the Foley, is what connects it to reality for you. So sometimes you may, it may be too difficult to show something. And so it's cheaper, easier, and just as effective to hear something. 
um, what's his name? Um, there's a movie called, gosh, I'm just fading right now. The guy who directed Lord of the Rings, and I know his name. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Very, very famous director. Um, oh, my God, I don't know. Is it? Yeah. Was I thought Bilbo? Uh, Peter, Jackson, Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. He did this. Um, he did this movie, a small film, uh, about the based on a true story about um, these two sisters who killed their mom. And I, it's I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it comes to this moment. And, and if you haven't seen the movie, spoilers ahead. But uh, based upon a true story, and the girls sneak up behind their mom and crush her head in with a rock. Now, instead of showing that, you just hear them, you see them pick up the rock and then step out of frame. And then you hear the rock coming down on the head. And it is far more terrifying and soul-wrenching than if you saw it, right. which would just be gory and... and um, disgusting whereas now it's heartfelt and heartbreaking so i think you're constantly trying to figure out you know what should exist on camera and what should exist in the audience's mind just like how stephen stephen king will talk about uh in any of his books he'll talk about monsters um but really it it stays inside the reader's head what that creature is because he never describes it in absolute detail yeah, I mean, I, to me, go ahead. No, I was going to add. It, what's interesting about this? So everything he has said um, about the the sound and all that is so related to magic. It's not funny. It's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. It's almost exactly like the way you talk about scripting. And everything. It's almost exactly what you're doing when you're creating like uh, like a stage, like a stand up set. Uh, and there's actually a guy who did Penn and Teller, who did the classic cups and balls, and he did them with big big metal brass balls that you can hear clinking around the, the things. And so he used awesome. sound as an illusion. And so it's That's really awesome. fascinating how those two arts are just like intertwined. Same thing, not comedy is not as intertwined, right. but as far as scripting goes, a lot of these things, he was talking about the, th the triangles and stuff. You're putting together a, a magic show. It's almost the same thing. You're going to get those, that triangle. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you, even about this movie you're working on now. It, I mean, is magic in, in some way or shape or form part of probably putting some of this together, right? The, the illusion, especially if oh, you're yeah. working on a small budget or smaller budget, it's, it's illusion. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I was looking this up earlier. Um, uh, there's a very famous magician who was one of the first uh, directors. He's a French director, and I'm sure. What's the what's your magician friend's name there? Mike. Mike, hi, Mike. I'm sure Mike is very well aware of Georges Millier. Yeah, who, who, I didn't realize he was a director though. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. My my, he my history is is really into like a specific genre of magic, but I do know that name, but I didn't had no idea he was a. Yeah, so Georges Millier did a, a trip to the moon, and I'm holding up the uh, picture on my phone. Oh, that's awesome. It's, it's that movie. It's got the uh, big picture of the moon with a rocket in its eyeball. I'm looking at that right now. Was it a French film? Oh, yeah, in like 1902 or something. Wow. Oh, and he used Matt. Oh, right. That would make sense, right? Because, so I mean, you didn't he have. He actually started as a magician. And when celluloid came out in like 1894 or something, sorry, I'm not a historian, but um, <laughs> he started realizing that you could fool the eye and you, and you could like use some of the magician's illusions and, and uh, you know, techniques 
uh, on on film in order to fool a, to excite a wider audience. Uh, so it's always been a combination of the sound and the visuals yeah. coming together to create a sense of reality. Yeah, yeah. But but regardless of that, I mean, to go back to 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 the movie issue or the, mm-hmm. what we were talking about with the movies, though, you know, the 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 one thing that gets me the most, and I I want to reiterate because I, I asked the question, but I don't know that I I said it in the proper way. You know, when you're writing a song, again, you, you, you're sitting in front of paper, a piece of paper. And so I, I think a lot of people are interested or, or you know, because I think a lot of people think that they would like to write a memoir. I'm, you know, people that are interesting. Not I'm not talking about, like, people that aren't interesting. I'm just saying, let's just say there's somebody that's interesting and they want to write a book or whatnot. Yeah. Um, what is the difference in that aspect of, between writing a book and writing a movie and, and, and writing, you know what I'm saying, like, how, how does writing a movie differ? You know what I'm saying? If you, if, from yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, I do want to say it. So writing a, writing a movie has got um, a, defi- a very defined structure to it. Uh, you have three-act structure. Uh, you're looking at having uh, a beginning, middle, and end. Um, typically, you're, if you watch any movie, you're going to have – uh, uh, your opening of your movie where it, it's either a chronological kerfuffle where something happens I'm gonna here and then you start off he, then you, the movie really starts here and this thing that happened here you see it again later here and it explains a bunch of these things or your standard structure is where you're meeting your initial characters um, in the first 10 minutes you meet all your lead roles and then together they're doing whatever. And then by between page 19 to 25, they have their um, they have their big turning point. It's the end of the first act. And something bad has to happen or something great has to happen that changes the way that they interact with each other. And then they go on this journey and they think they're going to solve it in the next 30 pages. And it's all working out. And then something goes horribly, horribly wrong. And then they have to overcome that. And however they solve it at the end has to be something that was set up at the beginning, but you never recognized it. And you're like, of course that makes sense. That's movie structure. And I'm simplifying it because obviously there's tons of books sure. about that. I mean, um, it's, it, it is it's similar to writing a certain type of song. A ballad goes this way. A, a, a rock like song goes like this, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. It just, it, it just, it, does it not, does it not kill you though sometimes to have to look again? I, I may, and maybe this is just me. But looking at pages, does that not sometimes make, you, you know, because to me, it sometimes it would, I would be like, oh, I, this is the best thing I've ever written. And it's only 11 pages. You, you know, as far as a movie with a song, you go, oh, it's done. I just here's one page. Uh, give it to everybody. Yeah. I mean, do you never you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just wrote. Does that not affect you and how, how to make it when you're making a film? is that you know man i i everything i wanted to say is is right there if i add to it i i think that what zach was saying earlier about he he mentioned this he said it took him a month to write and then he then he said it took a month to write then he said he kept working it out i think that's the difference oh, when you're doing you. scripting like space with magic is once you're done you're not done with a song it's done right you're not going to go back and eh, it's no like when you got to keep working it out i think that's zach if i'm kind of on yeah yeah. And also, honestly, even with Chris, he writes a song, he, he puts composition to it, and he, he musicifies it, um, uh, and then he goes into this studio, and then there's a producer going, 
What about this? What if we really changed up this sound or added this sound? And, and there is your polish as well. I mean, if, if I thought I had a perfect 11 page movie, that would be a short film. And that's (laughs) great. (laughs) And for anybody who wants to start writing out there, um, two pieces of advice. One is this book um, called Stephen King's A Memoir on Writing, A Memoir of the Craft. I have probably read this dog-eared little uh, pulp paper book about five times. I've bought five or six versions for other people. Uh, It's like Stephen King is sitting beside you giving all the advice he uh, learned over his career. And uh, it's amazing. So it'll help you get off your ass and start writing. Uh, On the flip side, um, write a short film. Write something under five minutes that's got a beginning, middle, and end. Um, Writing something, even if it never gets made or published, will never hurt you. It'll always make you be inspired. It'll always make you proud of yourself. It'll always make you excited to learn more about the process. Um, It'll always make you uh, respect good writing. Right. Uh, the next time you read a book, you might stop and go, wow, that's, that is a great sentence. My God, that's a good sentence. You know, you have the same thing in music. There was one song a friend of mine years ago told, uh, told me about, because I'm not really musical, and there's a song that goes, I, I put the bottle against my head and pulled the trigger. Again, I can't say. Yeah. But what a great metaphor for drinking your problems away and committing suicide by alcoholism put the bottle against my head and pulled the trigger Mm. and what a just like a joke you know what's the fastest way to the punchline the cleanest way to the punchline that still lands the impact of the emotional experience it's a constant challenge i mean that's the thing that's so cool about music or magic or writing or acting all these things you can be doing it until the day you die and always trying to become better. Literally, you're working Literally. with a guy that's going to probably do it till the day Same. he dies. I love art. I love art. Well, I know, I mean, <laughs> it's so but awesome. I'm, you know, that, but that is that's a that's a solid point, and it, and it's it's you can't as long as you have some conscious. I mean, look at Picasso mm-hmm. was how old when he you know he he I think he painted his last stroke. He didn't die right on the floor. But I mean, you really? can all you can always do this. My thing is, I think people, and this is why I'm I don't mean to be so uh, persistent on this, Zach, but I think this is something that. There are people that, you know, I remember my grandmother was in World War II and Battle of the Bulge in, in a bunch of, uh, you know, in a bunch of places in, in Europe. And we we begged her, will you please just even talk when you just take this tape recorder and talk to yourself, you know, and, and so that we can write something or, or put something out, you know, but there, people just get so overwhelmed by the page. I mean, you know how this is. It's empty pages. They get, they get overwhelmed by process. And look, we, we everybody's heard this. of success is just showing up. Just start, Yeah. you know? And the reality is uh, when I wrote my first script, I I wrote it in Microsoft Word. Just so you know, that's ridiculous. That's like writing it in long (laughs) I might as well have had a quill with a feather sticking out. It was ridiculous, okay? And it's just stupid. And there's there's all these, uh, there's, once you start doing this deep dive into how you do stuff, like again, this book, if you're interested in re- writing, will change your life. Mm. Will change your life. 
and you will feel like Stephen King has got his arm over your shoulder. And he's like, hey, hey, little buddy or little lady, let me let me let, let me help you push away the cobwebs and the fear. But once you start doing something that you really want to do and you stick with it and you write your first version, you do your first song, you do your first magic trick. And I'm sure for Mike, he remembers he, he did it. He did a magic trick. He showed it to some friends. They were impressed. He got another one. He showed it to some friends and he sucked. And then he had to go back to practicing and then he practiced and practiced and he still sucked. And then he practiced and practiced and showed it to people who didn't know him so well. And they were like, Oh my God, you're amazing. And he's like, there we go. So there's a process there. And it's like, if it was super easy, everybody would do it. But the reality is, Anybody can do it if they want to spend a couple of hours a day doing it. But they just can't whine about not doing it if they're the reason that they're not doing it. Okay, so I okay, so I I've harped on this a lot, and and you know you you came you you started acting. uh, I guess uh, was the Christmas Story the first movie, or did you have commercials? Yeah, the Christmas Story was my first film. Yeah. So you came in at a time, even through the the '90s uh, and, and 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 really the early 2000s, just like music, where you know movie theaters, um, you know critics were in newspapers and and you know wow. and TV and that kind of thing. So let's let's go into the next stage here, and 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 I, I'm I'm kind of interested in your thought about things like, you know, well, first off, cancel the cancellation of things. Okay. Do you does it worry you ever uh, that's that because the Christmas story is one of my favorite movies for, for real. And, and, and we've, I've already told you about that years ago, but regardless, does it ever bother you that, that, that there are things in that movie that may, may get that thing to where it doesn't play anymore? I mean, is that, when, when you, rah, 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 rah. Yeah, oh, I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, there was already a problem with it. I mean, oh, where, yeah. how does that affect your writing and, and how you see, uh, movies in, in the future? Well, it's a very good point. Good question. You know, the, this one, Patsy Lee and the Keeper of the Five Kingdoms, the thing that was interesting about it is it, it is a female lead. So it's Grandpa, and, who's James Hong, and it's Patsy Lee, who's uh, ambiguously 16, 17 years of age. But it's a, it's a family film, so she's not some 17-year-old girl doing TikTok sexy dance videos. Right. It's a very little bit more family-friendly, shall we say. Um, And so how do you make something that is appealing, timeless, without kowtowing to the most recent PC culture vibe? Um, And there's a a scene in the movie where the bad guys have kidnapped um, one of our lead characters' older brother. And they're like, you have to give us the magical item or we'll do something horrible to your brother. And the lead girls, Patsy and Squirrel and Maddie, all jump on their bicycles and ride off to the cemetery to make the trade. And what was really cool about it, as they drop their bikes and ride and run into the cemetery, great cemetery, by the way, is that there was no complaining There was no, like, it's not fair that men are doing something to us. It was, here's the situation, let's take charge. So I feel like, just like what we had in the Goonies, you know, in the the original Goonies, um, 
the original team of Goonies that happened to all be boys. Uh, they didn't complain. They didn't whine about not having more support. They just got it done. And I think leading by example is the perfect way to inspire people and get them excited. Uh, so that's what I did in this film. It was like without, without having an agenda of being a equal opportunity feminist piece, the reality is that it accidentally ticks off all those boxes because you've got characters, female characters that are really cool and really funny and kind of jerks sometimes and having their own dynamic. And they're not like, what did your boyfriend think about you? Not because they don't, well, A, they don't have a boyfriend and B, they got other stuff to do, man. So, <laughs> and they, they didn't, they weren't ancillary characters to the leads because I got very lucky. Like in a movie about kids, kid actors don't matter. Like yeah. I talked to distributors. I said, so what kid actors should I hire? Should I go to Nickelodeon and Disney XD and all that stuff? And they said, you know, for feature films, it doesn't matter. They don't sell. So you don't have to get X name to put in the movie in order to guarantee, guarantee distribution. They don't make any difference for international sales. So hire whoever you like and just hire the people you like, which gave me this wonderful opportunity to just hire awesome actors and let them be themselves. And if you look at Christmas Story, it was my first feature film. We were all kids. We played kids. Yes, we were acting, but we were kind of being us. Right. You know what I mean? And that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and yeah, there, there are some moments where, so for example, in the first version of the script, not the one I wrote, uh, there were some certain things that were not okay. Like it's supposed to be a family friendly film. And in the first version of the film, they've got teenage boys smoking. Well, according to the MPAA, uh, Motion Picture Association of America, smoking is an automatic R rating. Um, hi, can I help you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coming yeah. into the middle of a podcast. Like you know. Hey, wife. <laughs> hey, she's a magician. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Now you see me? Watch this. <laughs> 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 Savage. Nothing Savage. up my sleeve. Nothing up my uh, sleeve. No, she's all right. Um, she she she's cool. She, she's uh, my wife. She's okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, so so in the first version, there's they got kids smoking. You can't do that. Then they've got this scene where they um, uh, the bad guys put a black bag over this little girl's head. She's like ten years, fourteen years old, and stick a gun in her face. You can't really do that. Yeah. Like that's not that's not okay. Like if you think about it, even in um, the Goonies, the Fratellis didn't stick a gun in someone's face. They shot and killed two FBI agents off camera. Uh, Chunk um, bumped into one of them in the freezer. Uh, they got the bad guys. The Fratellis would point the gun in the direction of the kids, but they would drop it. And that's 1985, yeah. 87. So you're walking that line between violence and what's acceptable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to a certain degree, you have to write to that. Now, 
again, this is a, a family rated film, but I tried to make it as honest and heartfelt and sometimes painful as possible. So there are real stakes. So you care about the relationships involved without making it pandering in PC. Does that make sense? It does. And so here, my next question is the other side of that, which is how much would you love for this movie to have the vibe or something get something in it that would get you canceled? You understand what I'm saying by that? So I'm saying how in today's world, for instance, and I'll just give you, a, so just to preface this, Eminem, somebody can't wanted to cancel him. Now, I could only find one video that didn't have hardly any words in it, but they, they made a, a whole thing that blew up that they were trying to cancel Eminem. So he writes this song that, that was against these people that were, you know, a cancel culture and all this kind of thing blew up this whole new record. Is, is wow. that something that you kind of, and you're, you're not, you know, you're not stupid is, is that gets you as much press nowadays as being yeah. good used to in the eighties. Yeah, I guess so. But on the flip side, the reality is Eminem has always been a bad boy. Yeah. Uh, I, I was a, the bully in a Christmas story. Um, I'm not somebody who's gone to rehab multiple times and is not <laughs> a tough guy. And when you listen to my music, I'm not singing Rough Riders. You know, I'm not doing that type of thing. So oh, that's we have two, two different audiences. And my, like I said before, my job as I was hired to was to make a movie for James Hong that his goal was to have the younger audiences connect with their grandparents and share their history and their mythology. So find it on the ground. So that was my job. Um, so getting canceled, I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> no, I, and, and I, I don't mean it in the sense that, that, that there was actually something there that would get you canceled, so to speak, but just the talk, the, you know what I mean? The idea to, that, that gets clicks and which is today's, that's today's thing. I mean, that's how yeah, you, but I, I think it's also like, yeah, some people go for that. I don't think I need to do that. I think that there's going to be, I think people are going to be impressed with James Hong and, and the heart, you know, like, yeah. like I, you said, I about singing a song or doing a magic trick or doing, doing an acting performance. Anybody can do a scene from Shakespeare and it can suck yeah. or they can do a scene that's, profoundly moving and connects with people on a level that just makes them feel like they're part of a bigger whole. And now that's an inspiring performance. I, I'm with you. I, I just wanted to get your opinion. I well, I got record. a related question. So okay. like, you know, you were talking about when you're writing, cause the process is, is fascinating to me. I don't, I don't know much about it. So I get writing and making sure that you're conforming to the MPAA and making sure that you're, you know, not rated R and all that. Did the did what's happening right now in the world that the, with the PC stuff? Did that affect the way while you while you were writing? Like you said, not pandering to the PC crowd, but would it have been a different script if it, if the culture wasn't what it what it is right now? A good question. Maybe, maybe ever so slightly. You know, we we have been doing this part of the the post process on the film where we're doing the score. And there's this, uh, there, you, sometimes you put temp music in there, um, needle drops to, to basically give you an idea of the type of sound you're going to go for. Um, 
and we 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 had this great song for this beautiful moment you know the classic girl uh, a girl walks down the stairs for prom night and she's beautiful and uh, her family's proud of her and there's this great version of the song and I, I don't know the name of the song but it goes like this i'm going to sing again um <laughs> and it was a slow version it's like oh she's gonna be somebody's girl tonight you know that song oh sure yeah okay. so, somebody's baby somebody's baby right it's gonna be somebody's baby jackson brown jackson brown right and, and a beautiful song and we're like oh my god it's so touching it's so beautiful and the and the pace was perfect and then i thought but what do the lyrics mean <laughs> What do the lyrics mean? She's going to be somebody's baby tonight. Oh, I mean, I went to prom. Um, I don't know what that means. That <laughs> well, I always thought it was a guy that got that found a baby in an alleyway. It's got to be somebody's baby. <laughs> Whose okay, baby is it? So you're, so you're still a virgin. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good. Good. That's adorable. I have a bridge to sell you. Uh, well, I mean, at that, that, that moment, you're listening to that song going, she's going to be somebody's baby tonight. And you're like, oh, gross. That really is that really the message of the movie? Because the whole rest of the message of the movie is she's she's sweet, she's strong, she's broken, she's doing her best, she's fighting hard, she's got a big heart, she's fallible, uh, she fights, she cares for the people in her life, and she's gonna be somebody's baby. <laughs> so it was funny at that moment. We all kind of went, "Yeah, those are not the right lyrics for this." Um, let the sound is good let's find something in that field that doesn't have that and the great thing is uh my buddy michael fish herring his nickname is fish because his last name is herring um and so now the lines it's a the he wrote a needle drop for it just beautiful and she's got magic in her eyes and the movie has magic in it so boom 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 and it worked great but yeah it was one of those moments i don't think i would have been so aware of the message if I hadn't been in the environment we're in right now. And actually for that, I'm kind of grateful because I don't think, you know, I don't have a daughter, um, but I don't, I wouldn't want my daughter to think that her value would be based upon somebody else's approval. Oh, wow. Okay. Somebody else's baby. I'd want her to be proud of herself because she, she busted her ass to do the hard work and get it done. So Maybe because of that, I'm a little bit more aware of the subtleties of the of the messaging. Um, and that's okay. Like, you know, I, I think artists, the restrictions and the difficulties help create the ideas to solve the problems. Yeah. If, if everything was, every movie I made was $150 million and I had everything I wanted, that would be cool. But I've come up with some really neat solutions that I'm very proud of, whether it's a, as a writer, as a director, as an editor, that, you know, necessity being the mother of invention, it, it forced me to think around what was easy and come up with something better. And I like it more. And it... You know, when the finished film is out there, no one's going to go, you hear that song? It didn't say something about being someone's baby. <laughs> like, they're not going to know. They're never going to know. Um, but I did. And I was okay, I was okay going, mm, yeah, maybe that's not the dialogue, the words I want to hear right now. Right. So, 
Well, listen, I, I, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back and then I want to ask you what I think everybody's thinking right now. Okay, this everybody wants to know the answer and your opinion. Why is my hair white? No, well, it's not white; it's red. No, what? It looks red. <laughs> Are you? No, it it's, doesn't. It's, it's blonde. definitely it's blonde. blonde. It looks blonde. blonde. Red. I mean, that's what I meant. Like a blonde. <laughs> it, like like Wait, a strawberry. No, I, I don't know how red and blonde are. White right now. Oh, holy shit! All right, Santa Claus. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll be right back. I'm Sponsors of How Valid is the Validity. Audison. Audison Amplifiers. Feel it. Hertz. Hertz Marine and Car Audio. Hear what you've been missing. Verdoliac Law Group. Let us help you. Aurora Nutriscience. True Liposymol Supplements. Guidance Whiskey. Look for guidance. Cartronics. Customize your ride. Sony. Car Audio 2.0 Titan Motoring Don't just customize, personalize Chris Weaver Band Live and Streaming Entertainment How Valid is the Validity Wednesday night, 7 Central, 8 Eastern And I say King Stai ascoltando Anata W.E.K.I.R.A.I.M.A.S.U Estás escuchando Você está ouvindo No matter how you say it You are listening to How valid is the validity? Security office saying that there's a lawsuit against me. Oh, no, that's not good. <laughs> that's not Dear good. sir and or madam, <laughs> there is a lawsuit against you for IRS monies. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to be able to stick around is what you're saying? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I love that shit. I actually recently got another one of those things from like, uh, Dear sir, I am a prince in Nigeria and I am inheriting $50 million, but I need someone to carry the money for a while. <laughs> have, you, have, have you ever pursued one of those? I've tried twice and didn't get anything back. No, I, I, I've, I've tried to a couple of times just to, just to mess with them. But like, then I realized I, I got shit to do. Yeah. But right. We got a life. Yeah. Get a life. Get a life. But apparently if you're 90 years old though, or 80 years old with a bank account, you got nothing else to do. You're trying to help these people. It's really. It's happened to my mom actually. Yeah. It's, it's not fun. So here, here's what I, here's what I want to know. I want your opinion on this. This is very important. Very important. What the hell is, and, and where does, how does this work? But this whole uh Yelp rotten tomato thing that's happened now, right? The the the, the rotten tomato and how that affects uh movies and the discrepancy of of the critics versus the audience. So it's a two it's a two it's a two stage question. How do you feel about this 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 uh, form of of uh criticizing a movie and and then also what is your feeling or opinion about the the differences between critics and and viewers well, the numbers because you know how most of the movies very rarely do you see it's the critics are 89% and the viewers are 25 or the viewers are 89 and the critics are 25 right i don't I, i'm just interested yeah. to know what your thought is on this stuff uh, i think it's interesting i mean pros and cons i mean it's basically just market research to find out uh what the niche 
audience is that your film will appeal to the most. Um, like a Yelp, like a Rotten Tomatoes, they're democratizing the, uh, the critics process. Um, doesn't necessarily mean you're coming up with a better film. And, you know, uh, then when you come to professional critics who know something about filmmaking, then you're dealing with a more experienced eye. Um, so they know more about what they're talking about, maybe? Well, I mean, but I it's... guess I guess I'm, I'm asking, too, what your thought process... I mean, you've, you've kind of seen the gamut the gambit of, of of different types of critics. I mean, you know, uh, Siskel and Ebert was a big that was that was a huge, yeah. you know, and and the guy with the mustache on CBS. Remember him, uh, w w Gene Gene, what's his name? Siskel. Yeah, Gene Siskel. And and so you yeah. you've seen this stuff, and and so I, I guess my 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 question to you is is just like how do you feel about how people are talking and criticizing and and. You know, because those things are kind of gone. I mean, there are people that you can, you know, there are different folks, I'm sure, in the in the cyber world that people go to and say, oh, if, that, if this guy says it's good, it's good, that type of thing. But overall, in a generalized manner, how people are learning about movies and, and deciding whether or not they're going to spend money on to watch them, for instance, how do you feel about things like Rotten Tomatoes? Good or bad? I mean, how, how do you feel about it? Good. I think good. I think sometimes uh, Rotten Tomatoes, because it's such a wide, very group of people uh, with different types of interests that they um, give movies that wouldn't typically get a chance a chance. Um, and I think that's great. Uh, it's surprising because it's not always about how much the m movie costs to make or how much press is generated around it by the studio. So you look at a film like Dr. Doolittle with Robert Downey Jr., and it just got slammed because because it was hard to watch. Like I, <laughs> I, I had it for free. And no, no offense against Mr. Downey Jr., but uh, I couldn't get through it, dude. You know, <laughs> I, I I was on there for like two minutes. I'm like, oh, okay, I've, I've had I'm enough. Um, yeah, it's like you know, it's also funny about um, about critics when Christmas Story came out in '83. Uh, Leonard Maltin panned it. And then it was re-released the following year and Leonard Moulton went on Entertainment Tonight and apologized and said it was one of the best movies he'd ever seen. So I think for, like, there's a couple of different um, critics online that I really like on YouTube. And so I'll check out their reviews because I've seen that our tastes sort of follow similar paths. And um, when they've recommended something, I've liked it. And when they've panned it, it's been something that I couldn't stomach. So maybe I'm just getting confirmation bias of my existing opinion, but they're doing the work to introduce me to um, new films I haven't heard of. So does that? No, I mean, yeah, it does. I mean, I just, I'm, you know, as a as a as a movie goer, you know, when I when I want to go see something, I, I'm I'm looking at this, and 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 it's it's almost it almost pisses you off to some extent because you're like. You got these movies, all these new movies that you see all these great trailers for, and then you go look, and it's either the critics are like eighty-five percent best movie I've ever seen. I've shoved tomatoes up my ass all day trying to watch, it. and then you got the and the and the people review is fifteen, and then vice versa, and and it's still there's no, it's still you can't make up your mind. Do you go with the people, or you, and then you have to start have to making you know remembering that the movies you did go see and you were like i like that what was the critics uh, there's two guys i really like on on youtube one called chris stuckman 
He's very funny. He has good good reviews. Another guy called The Critical Drinker. Uh, both very entertaining, good reviews. Maybe that can help you out on a yeah, personal yeah. level. Maybe that or a therapist, because I really feel like it should not be that important. Um, just maybe stay home and stream the movies, and then you don't have to pay for anything. You know what? Okay, you got me. I I went too far with the Rotten Tomatoes, and I apologize. Okay, I apologize. Find a safe space. There, don't Google that. I'm not. I went too far with. The I went too, went too far with the movies. I went too far Find with the movies. Find a safe space. Just sit underneath your desk. So after your experience uh, in, in at that early of an age and that early, really in the eighties, obviously, I mean, again, you've seen so much in movies. What what did that movie help you uh, continue to want to be in movies, or you know, because I've seen I've seen you talk about Christmas Story, and and I you know I've kind of felt like you could go either way. Like it wasn't the best experience, but it wasn't the worst experience. I mean, like you talk about the vapor lock thing, which I thought was very interesting because I kind of. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, just singing. Sometimes it's like that, especially when you're in the studio. I mean, what what did? How did you feel after that movie? Was it? Is that the thing that made you want to keep directing, acting, and and moving um, on? When I okay, so for me, when I finished Christmas Story, nobody cared. It didn't come out um, right away, and I was not invited to the premiere. And it wasn't something that anybody gave a crap about in Canada. Um, to my for my benefit, I would say that I did not start living the life of a child star, quote unquote. I just kept on working. And the other thing was that uh, working as a child, uh, I did that film when I was 13. So working as a kid, it wasn't about um, being famous or being rich, because uh, I wasn't either. It was about paying bills with the family because we needed the money. So we all put the money into a pot and paid for rent and paid for food and paid for heat. Um, very glamorous things, especially in Canada. So I never got distracted by that red carpet mentality that seems to be the priority uh, when people are watching uh, celebrities, uh, quote unquote, nowadays. Um, I just kept on working. And so I was doing commercials and TV show guest spots. And that's what I did all through high school. Um, I did some films. I mean, dude, it's, I've been doing this for 41 years. That's I can't remember shot. Yeah. Um, I've done 120, 130 films, something like that. Uh, I didn't think about directing when I was younger. Uh, like I said, I started writing when I was young, but I, I didn't take it too seriously. I didn't see it as a, as a real direction for me, um, which I did in 2003 was really the beginning of that. Um, it was just something that was always part of my life. And... It was always something that I was good at. And it's something that came naturally to me because I grew up around it. My mom's an actress yeah. and uh, I loved it. And I loved the process of working with other people and their contributions to an idea. So as you're, uh, if you're playing the role in a, a movie, you've got a script that gives you a bunch. You've got a director. He gives you a bunch or she gives you a bunch and you've got the wardrobe and, and then you start putting on the clothes and then the character starts to develop there. And then maybe you have some props with a cane or a, I don't know, something else cool. And uh, it, all this starts to begin to build itself. And then you're on set and there's a full set built and, and all the design is done and there's a crew there and they light it. And it, these things become real 
uh, and I just love that process. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's the closest I'm ever going to have to creating life is I take an idea from something. I take an idea from my head and I slowly turn it into reality that I can share with other people and it emotionally impacts them. Hopefully in the way that I intended, right. sometimes they might think it's a piece of crap regardless, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's gone from being a figment of my imagination to something that's real. And that's, that's just such an incredibly, um, heady experience, something that keeps you coming back for more. So I, you know, if I'm 51 years old now and I, I, could not have imagined being who I am at this moment. And now that I'm here, I don't know if I could imagine uh, being anyone else. Yeah. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's the road so far. I mean, I think that's a good, that's probably the best thing you can say about your life is not wanting to be, I'm serious. I mean, not wanting to be, not wanting to go backwards. That's kind of how I've always looked at it. I just don't want to go back. You know, everybody would like, oh, I was 25 or whatever. I, I, I'm ready to I'm ready to move forward and when I'm gone I'm I'm ready to go too. This would probably be difficult to answer, but what would you what are your personal three favorite top films that you've been in? You might not be able to answer. Top films I've been in? Yep. Um well obviously Christmas story because just such I mean, you know, with all the films I've done, I've got I've been very blessed and fortunate to be in some big budget stuff, which is awesome. Um you know, Transformers a hundred and fifty million dollar movie. Nobody wants to watch a 24-hour marathon of that every year. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? And I don't want to sit down with grandpa and grandma and mom and dad and be like, oh, remember when Scorpinox killed Zach? <laughs> like, that's just, it, it's, 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 Christmas Story is lightning in a bottle. The Shawshank Redemption is lightning in a bottle. You know, True Romance, lightning in a bottle. There's so many movies out there that like uh, a captain and commander at the far end of the world, like cinematic treasures that to be part of one of them is just neat. huge. Yeah. And I'm not Mel Gibson uh, or, or one of these big movie star guys. I'm a character actor. Uh, so being part of something that huge is fantastic. Uh, doing the series Titus is always going to be one of the top experiences of my life. Um, I know it's not a movie, but you know, I did it for three years, did 54 episodes. Loved it, learned so much. Um, the movie Postal, not a good movie. Um, <laughs> not a good film. It, it, it could have been so much better, but I learned so much from that film. I learned that that's that movie that made me go, ah, oh, God damn it. I'm going to, I got to do that. <laughs> I could do better. Um, can you make okay? Can you so can th th that goes back to something we talked about earlier? Can yeah. can you do? I I can do cover songs. I made a living off of it. Can you be in a movie and and think that way and then go make that movie again? What? I mean, you can make that movie. That's interesting. That's a really interesting question. Oh, he's doing so. I, I think he's saying it in a sarcastic way, like, oh, no, I'm, I'm confused. I, okay, so I'm in a movie, like let's say a Christmas story. Yeah. Can I go make that movie again? 
No, I'm talking about a movie that, I, for instance, there are songs that are that were released, put out, whatever, oh, that I well, like. Could I do, could I do a, a remake of an existing film? Right, that you felt like that about, right? So you felt like this movie could have been done. Isn't that like done. half of Hollywood? Well, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, but he's talking about a movie that already exists. So like that would be. Well, yeah, but I mean, like how many remakes of Godzilla do we have? Don't we just talk about that? Well, yeah, but. Th- is it th- the same guy? This is, this is a movie that. Oh, he was a part. He of, was a part of. You were actually, and you're in like, the movie. man, I could have made. That's interesting. Or was the movie just? Uh, no, I would never want to do that. Screw that. No, Screw all right. That. I'm just asking. No. I mean, no remake of Sharknado. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You? oh man, oh man, you are no longer. <laughs> he's got the biography. He's got his. He's got his whole. His whole thing. That was Sharknado, Heart of Sharkness. Okay, that was. <laughs> That was shot in four days. <laughs> no script, all improvised. And the reason I did that film was because my first feature that I ever directed uh, called Restoration, uh, actually fun little movie, and my mom's in it too. That's awesome. um, you should look it up. on. It's on Amazon Prime now. It's a pretty cool little film. Uh, I shot that thing for $75,000. That's what? insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got international distribution. Thank you very much. And uh, I ran out of money and I couldn't ask the investors for any more cash. And I need to do pickup shots. So I did Sharknado, Heart of Sharkness, Holy. in order to make the money oh, to do the pickup shots to put it in the movie. And so I'm always grateful for that film because, you know, even though it's a turd, I've never watched it. But. <laughs> Uh, and I also met one of my best friends, Scotty Mullen, uh, on that project, uh, who I love very much. So, yeah, yeah screw you, dude. Yeah. Oh, okay, see, I've never had somebody in here before actually uh, maybe make a guest not want to talk to me anymore afterwards. <laughs> I thought you were joking. What about Lost? Lost was awesome. I, I almost got to do a bunch of those. Um, I only did one. I was supposed to do about nine of them. But... Um, couldn't find your way to the place. Well, JJ was it? Yes, JJ uh, Abrams mm-hmm. would have a tendency to call at the last minute and be like, mm. "Hey, we're gonna need you in Hawaii uh, Thursday." I'm like, "It's Tuesday." Yeah, I'm shooting something. Ah, crap! Never mind. Next time. That <laughs> <laughs> all the time, and it was very sweet. It was very kind. Uh, I loved it. Everybody was very lovely. Uh, I wish I could have been more part of it. I was very honored that he wanted to expand my character, but it never happened. Good job. Yeah, that's actually good. Yeah. So, how how do you uh, find aging and your roles changing? I mean, you you know what I'm saying. Do, do you see any benefit in in into getting into your fifties in the next ten years, where you get different roles that you know you wouldn't have got, and because of your because you're a good actor, you know what, you know what I mean, like. You're solid. People can depend on you. There's the you yeah, know. but honestly, like, I don't know. I mean, you know, I found that due to the uh, recent environment, um, sort of lashback at uh, white dudes in movies, which I understand to a certain degree. Uh, and the what's it? You know, what do they call it? The the curve, the the pendulum of the revolution. Yeah. Will always settle in the apex. Yeah. Um, 
And, but it, it makes it difficult because right now, like, like if I'm going to go audition for a TV show, it's a neo-Nazi douchebag, uh, killing rapist, pedophile type of thing. Um, wow. Oh, that's interesting. Which is, like, hmm. which is a, like, because I'm also not, you know, George Clooney or one of those guys. I'm not a big, big name that you can put on the front of the poster to sell the movie, which I understand. Um, but that's also the reason why I produce and I direct and I, write and i do my own stuff so i'm not i'm not sitting around waiting to do sure a film. Well, um, i mean i didn't know like like you were saying about jj would just call you at certain times i i i just you know you start seeing sometimes with especially older actors you know getting these different roles maybe almost making a comeback uh like the yeah. you know, like you know i'm like like the guy in batman or whatever that uh, paid, played alfred i mean he, he had this whole other comeback i didn't know if you were kind of feeling that maybe the, michael kane yeah, he, he, he talks about it with batman about how he got he come back you know like he was he was not acting as much and then that i'm not sure who the director of that of that of whatever movie he was in nolan. first brought yeah chris was it christopher nolan but anyway he he made this comeback and he and michael kane started getting all these roles again yeah and and i just i i, I always wondered you know is that something that that, that's a possibility. I mean, uh, as LL Cool J would say, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. Um, <laughs> Represent. Nicely done, sir. Deep so, cut, baby. Deep cut. If, um, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, it's different. Like the, the reason my hair is uh, blonde slash platinum white is because I just finished a movie with Bruce Willis where I play the bad guy um, all covered in fake tattoos and scary and psychotic, not you know, not wearing my glasses in my office, looking like somebody's dad. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, there, it, there's a likelihood that that could happen. I'm a respected actor. I haven't done anything wrong that I'm aware of yet. So uh, I haven't gotten myself canceled and uh, we'll see what happens. But um, I think just like you, Chris, like the thought is like, is someone going to discover you again? Yeah. You're like, yeah, maybe. I, but you're going to keep on doing what you do day in, day out that you can enjoy. And then in that process, you're going to create something that you love and people will witness it. And then maybe that's the thing that brings them back around to your process, to, to working with you in another way. Well, okay. So and you have a question. Well, on, on this whole thing, and I find this whole thing very fascinating with the whole cancel culture, but you did mention so, so you answered his question though with uh, your answer included cancel culture because you did say right now specifically being an older white male um, yeah. is harder, quote unquote. And then the solution is to stay independent and just keep doing your own thing, which I think is very interesting, yeah. especially with the Joe Rogan movement with the comedy thing that he's doing. It seems like that's the entire art form is everybody's going. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. Let us make our own art. Right. And that just seems to just keep coming up over and over and over again, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. And then my question on that is, okay, so somebody is your age, uh, an older white male, um, and they're in their mid-50s, and they have basically want to break in somehow, write a script, do a YouTube, whatever it is. I know that obviously the internet has changed the game. Uh, how do you, what are your thoughts on people trying to get into it now in their mid-50s who want to all of a sudden, you know, act or, or write or do something? Well, they they better be rich. Yeah, I heard. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. They better be rich because you're going to lose your ass. Mm. Um, if you want to get into this now, yeah. if you are wealthy, if you're if you're not wealthy, then try to be an extra in movies so that you can get mm -hmm. paid to be there and learn about the process. 
if you are wealthy, uh, then make a short film, learn as much as you can about the process, um, get as much of an education as you can before you go into making a feature so that you don't have people robbing you of your money. Mm. Are you talking about ma making a movie or acting in movies? Any, any, I mean, like all of it. I mean, like you said you got, you got, I mean, you're hitting on a very interesting niche. Like you're talking to a lot of guys right now. And it's very funny that we're having this conversation because my father's watching and I'm very specifically talking about him and he's, I am, I am a spitting image, literally kind of of him. Uh, he, he didn't do anything entertainment wise, but he's like, man, I would love to act. I'd love to do anything, literally anything related, well, right? All of it. So I would say he could apply to an extras casting agency yeah. and then he can get a job, potentially get a job um, in commercials or um, background acting where right. he, since he doesn't have any experience, he could be there and watch how the whole thing works and start to understand, um, you know, the language, the jargon, the, the process, the structure and also find out if he even likes it because right. it's one thing to see it on the screen. It's another thing to be on set. Right. Um, but that's something he could do right now. Right. And it would cost him, uh, he could go get headshots done um, and don't spend too much money on that. Maybe 200 bucks tops and they should all be digital. You don't have to get them printed out. In case, in case someone's trying to scam you like, for only $1,500, <laughs> I'll make them up. I need that. Um, yeah, talk to an extras casting uh, agency. Maybe they also do commercial submissions. And then you're that person who does like a... <laughs> <laughs> I want that. What I is love it? it. Yeah. Whatever yeah, that is. Whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, uh, so you don't have to talk a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So do you have that's, a question? That's interesting. Okay. So I, if, I know I've been putting you through the ring. I just have this. I want to know what, what how this works. What is the difference when you talk about the end of the movie with producer? I, I think I know what an executive producer is, but producer, uh, uh, director, and then what part does the writer play on, on set? What 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 what? How do the, how do those dynamics work? Uh, a lot of times, the writer will not be allowed on set. Ooh. Um, because they could be too precious about things, um, and they don't they potentially don't understand um, the requirements of production. Um, the pr the executive producer on a movie is typically the person who either a put in money or b found the person to put in money. They have no say on who's hired, unless maybe they have connections to a big acting name. Um, or they may be the distribution company that's distributing the film. Um, typically, the executive producer, if they're just putting in f financing, they, they don't usually have much say when it comes to how the movie's shot, how it's produced. That's not their job. Their job is to put up money. Um, when it comes to a TV series, an executive producer is a totally different thing. They're the creator and the writer, and they have all the power in the world. Um, on a movie, a producer is the person who <clears throat> either finds the executive producers to put in the money or is hired by the EPs to produce the movie. Then the producer uh, can uh, source the material, the, the script and or the uh, director and or the all the talent 
or the director the can be separate. Then the producer is going through the script, doing a breakdown of every single location that's required, every single cast member that's required, all the extras that are required, um, all the departments that are going to be needed, hiring those departments, the heads of those departments, uh, coordinating with the heads of those departments to formulate a schedule for pre-production, principal photography, and post-production, and then deliverables. So wow. that's what that means. The director um, is in charge of working in tandem with the production team, the producer in prep, that's uh, prep for principal photography, and then it, during principal photography, and a lot of times is involved in post-production, making sure that things are looking like they're supposed to look, whether it's uh, visual effects or it's uh, color correction or it's score or title design. It depends upon how big the movie is, how many people are involved, and how if there's a studio involved. Because if you have a movie like... Um, Pirates of the Caribbean, you got a lot of money there and you have a lot of people paid to do their job really well. Um, yes, the director is still involved, but he, he or she does not have to do as much heavy lifting because there's a lot of support. So the director is the one that's going to tell the, the actors, though, like he's going to stop when, the, when he feels like that we could do better or we could or that's not right. The director is the one that's going to stop it tell people what they what he wants and then move and and shoot again yeah yeah comes up gives notes uh you know it depends on what style of director some directors are very technically proficient uh like michael bay um and other ones are incredibly emotionally proficient uh, because they're far more of a theater background some are kind of a cross between the two but you know like the job of a director is not to do everything on set. A job of the director is to work with his team to get it done. So you've got your DP, which is your director of photography, your first AD, which is your first assistant director. Um, you've got your producer, um, production designer who does works with the director for the, for these, the design and style of the entire film, whether that's wardrobe or set pieces. Uh, so the DP is working with what kind of camera angles, what kind of style of cinematography. You've got a VFX supervisor who is taking the vision that's in the director's head and on the script and then trying to turn that into a visual sample of that that they can work with with the director to try and uh, find a, really key into exactly what they want. Um, so it's a it's a fantastic team process. Yeah. Uh, it and and the the control like it's not like you walk around set as a director like the grand poobah Which is <laughs> uh, you're just very busy very tired and have a lot of things to do all the time and your hope is that you got you get to work with people you really love and respect and trust because when you're you know two weeks in on 17 hours a day six days a week you're going to slip and fall and you need someone else who's got your back. Um, yeah. There's an ambiguous answer for you. No, I, I mean, no, to me, that's, and that's not even what I was thinking. So I just learned something and that's the key. That's the whole key. I, I got to be honest with you. I think we learned a lot tonight and I, and I really appreciate your time and thanks for giving it to me. 
And uh, I've known Zach a long time. He's actually helped me out through a he helped me out through a rough rough course in my life for a little bit. There gave me some really good pep talks, and you know, and I felt like you did that tonight. You gave people. Well, with the rotten oh. tomatoes, I know you've had a very difficult time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping that one day you'll get over that. <laughs> will you come? Will you come back on later at the, in the year and if and talk and if the or when the movie comes out, so we can see? Yeah, I'd love to. That'd be great. That'd All be right. cool. Well, listen, I'll, I I appreciate it, and then uh, and Mike and 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 uh, and uh, what, God, what is your name? What is your name? <laughs> it's. Right. Uh, George, George, and Mike and George, they, they appreciated it too. And Andy, thanks so much, uh, Zach Ward, everybody. Uh, yeah, man. Pleasure, guys, thank you that so much. Exactly. Have a great yeah, night. Thank you, it. sir. That's neat. That was so much fun. That is freaking neat. What a cool dude. He's a cool dude. Yeah, He's he a cool dude. Um, he seems super down to earth. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna come back, and I want to go over a few things that happened this past week, uh, and then uh, and then we're gonna watch some uh, magic. Uh, you only have to do uh, from the time period we got here. You only got thirty minutes. You got to do so. You know, just, just get ready. We'll be right back. It's a full show. From the roots of our excellence, we started a journey into the future. To create the most extraordinary experience in your car. A new era of sound. Nashville's only custom automotive facility with everything under one roof, Titan Motoring. Put your car, bike, or boat in the care of our award-winning technicians and artists. Wheels and tires, lift and suspension kits, mobile audio and video, custom lighting, custom fabrication and interior, window tinting and vinyl wrapping. Locally owned and operated in our 15,000 square foot facility. Wrap it, light it, lift it, and then roll it out with Titan Motoring. Call or visit us online at titanmotoring.net.
it kind of sucks that I got to cut this one up a little bit. Did you see it flickering in the beginning? It looked like a like my light was going out on me. Didn't pay your electric bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate you so bad. <laughs> Speaking of that, can you fix those lights in my car sometime? Um okay, Cartronics, every, everybody, I I brought him all the way from uh where are you from? Hendersonville? <laughs> I live in Dawson. Uh, you should stick with Hendersonville, Hendersonville probably. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't tell people Donna's. Is that, is that make me look better? Look at the tiny cam is frozen. The tiny cam's frozen? Don't know why, but look at it, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I always feel thin until I see myself uh, on camera. <laughs> you ever notice that? Is that weird? Is that weird? I hear myself. Does that one work over there? His camera works though, right? Yeah, his, yeah. he's on. You can't yeah. see his face. We're, I mean, Andy, we can't do this. I think this is our last live show. <laughs> Honestly, I think we're done. I think I, I've had enough. I've had enough. Um, okay, so, Mike. <laughs> Mike, Mike was at the show on, on Saturday, and uh, he killed it. It was pretty awesome. Unfortunately, we couldn't have the camera correct, uh, so nobody saw the tricks. But I knew that he was awesome. Uh, <laughs> the trick I did played. The I after – the, the, what you're so good at is just ama- – I mean, he was making he was making styrofoam ducks come out of people's ears. I mean, at one point in time – uh, he had cheated on somebody with their with their wife. I mean, it was just and right in front of him. How many watches did you steal? Dude, I think I was no lie. I was like six for six or some shit. I mean, he, it was he, awesome. he literally had people's watches he could have walked away with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, how rich could you be right now? And how uh, why and why is it so easy to take somebody's watch off of them? Um. So the best way I can describe it is, <laughs> man, it's really it's really interesting. So the the famous pickpocket. Uh, his name is Apollo Robbins. He has a TED Talk, and I'm going to steal his um, – I'm going to use his his example, basically. Your brain, no matter how good of a multitasker you think you are, you're not. And right. your bottom line is your brain can only do one thing at once. And so once I have your once I have your attention, I can pretty much do whatever I want. And so that's how it works is there's a guy looking through your eyeballs, and he's scanning the room. And as soon as I ask you a question, that guy has to go back to the filing cabinet and answer the question. And so that's when I strike. And so as soon as your little your little sub, your conscious turns to subconscious and you begin to think, I hit you, and it's that's what magic. It's just constant beats and uh, it's it's amazing what you can do once somebody is locked in. Like I've had some uh, some opportunities. To, I mean, I could have taken everything, you know. <laughs> right, but it, but but it's more than that, isn't it? I mean, because well, there's some technique, there's some right, right. Still. But I mean, sure. it, but confidence, right? You have to have unbelievable <laughs> confidence. You have to be able to get. I've got caught. I mean, you have. Yeah, you're right. You have to try. I, I saw. Like I told told you earlier, I was blessed to basically be, be a part of the show. Really Call us at eight zero zero. You know what I mean? And I saw them doing taking watches, and I was like, oh, I'll try it. And I just tried it. You know what I mean? Is where you're right. That's one of those things where you have to basically just try it and fail. And somebody goes, "She's trying to take my watch." And you go, "Oh, that sucks." Next trick, <laughs> you just move on, right? And because, you just go. And yeah. so when you do say, when you do say, "Oh, next trick" or whatever, yeah. "Oh, I messed up," or sometimes you're being serious. I'm. Oh, if I if it's a watch, if it's a watch, yeah, I'm dead serious because I I mean they're they're calling me out. They're going, "He's trying to," or he, they're like, "I see what you're doing," or they'll say something. I'm like, "Yeah, well, that didn't work," and then just and you just go. You just literally bulldoze to the next trick. Now, you do you get the happened. do you get the 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 cold sweats and your butthole clenches up? Do you get that kind um, of feeling? No, actually, no. Um, I've done this enough. I I mean, I have the anxiety. But like I don't get necessarily like nervous. And there's always performance anxiety. But I don't get like, oh my god, I'm gonna screw something up. Unless I'm doing like something brand new, I'll get a little nervous. Like I'll go into an effect or a trick or a routine, and I'm like, damn, I'm still thinking about it. I'm not ten thousand hours in. You know, yeah. I'm still thinking about it. But the watch stuff, um, 
it's 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 pretty straightforward you know what i mean so like i don't get any kind of nerves about it you just do it you literally grab their you put the thing you put the object in their hand you hold their hands up you say some nonsense you get them to look in your eyes you ask them some questions next thing you know you got their watch it's like there's a thousand dollars in this uh there's a thousand dollars in this drawer if you got if you can have my underwear with you by the time you leave all right so what, I what do you wish. <laughs> uh, I so wish. new tommy johns too so that's uh, that's it. actually one thousand like twelve hundred dollars <laughs> yeah after like after the saturday night yeah you wouldn't want these things <laughs> uh, i need to change them that's a good point uh okay show us some stuff oh are we on yeah popping cool so you guys can see the cards oh look at that oh i'm just hands i love it all right so we're on and popping um i have a deck of cards and uh, you can't see exactly what's going on, but you can basically. I can. Uh, you want me to move the camera? You want to just zoom in just a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Bit. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to show them something. Um, I thought it was a little closer. Just, a, just a little bit. I just want to be able to see that they're all. Yeah, yeah, and just go down just a little bit. Beautiful, so we can see those bad boys. Beautiful, right there. Yeah. Um. All right, so we're gonna do some table work. All right, so this is a lot of fun for me. So a lot of people don't understand um, the context behind magic. I actually practiced a lot of what we call table work. So this is what we're doing right now. And I don't get to do it a lot. Why? Because I don't have a table. <laughs> and so when I have this pad, I'm able to do a lot of cool things. So if you guys can see these cards, um, I put them in new deck order. And you guys can see this. It's perfect. Can you hear me? Ooh, hello. Everybody can hear me now. All right, so I have them in new deck order. So you can see this is ace to king right ace to king king to ace king to ace right so they're spades hearts clubs diamonds so they're all in uh, basically perfect new deck order this is what it looks like when you open a new deck of cards all right <clears throat> now first question i get asked as a magician is can you cheat at cards uh, and the question is yes if i'm allowed to touch them so i am not able to go into a casino necessarily and cheat uh, and i'll tell you why and again the reason why is i can't touch the cards i don't count i don't do any of that nonsense turn him up please andy so what I'm gonna do here turn is these are uh, his voice up. Ears. Turning me up now. These are standard what we call uh, casino shuffles. So they're face down on the table, right? And so that way nobody can see the cards. So if the cards are face down on the table, and I'm trying to basically do this while talking into the microphone, so this is gonna be interesting. Uh, couple shuffles and you after you shuffle the cards you always cut the cards and the idea is hopefully even after all these shuffles you guys should see this uh that should be oh, ace wow. through king how in the hell ace through king i can totally king do that through ace. <laughs> and so they're still in perfect <laughs> numeric order uh, i did that trick in alabama it took a little longer for them to figure out what's going on it's uh, <laughs> got a lot of silence so i was like nothing nothing guys and I'm allowed to make that joke because yeah, I'm from Yeah, just move that any way you need to. Don't yeah, so I'm looking down at the cards while I'm shuffling. I'll do it one more time. So the idea is you shuffle them face down on the table, right? This is a standard riffle shuffle. You give them a couple cuts. These are called table cuts, like so. Oop, 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 oop. Get a little messy with it. Um, again, I don't get to do this a lot, so this is a lot of fun for me. Give them a couple different cuts like this. Boop. And a couple more. And that should be... Yeah, ace through king, ace through king. So they're all in sort of perfect numeric order, right? Um, and so that's called cheating, right? And so that's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, and so that's not really magic. I said I think I got one card wrong. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take it to the next step, uh, and we're going to try to try a little magic trick. And I'm going to do a couple of little fancy shuffles just for the camera so everybody can see that I'm legit. Ooh, I'm showing off. Yay. Uh, <laughs> and so if the camera can see this, uh, the cards are still in perfect order. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually give them some legit shuffles. And I know that's what is a legit shuffle. Uh, it basically means I am actually going to show you the cards one at a time. Right. 
you guys can see they're all they're all still in perfect order and I'm gonna actually just kind of mix them up like this so you guys can see they're being mixed up right so you guys don't think I'm cheating I'll actually do this little fancy move right here put a couple right there see they're all being riffled in together you guys can see this all being shuffled. All right, so everybody's seeing they're all, be, they're all being mixed up now. They're out in perfect numeric order. Uh, we do still need a few cards uh, for this trick. And so what we're going to do is we're going to use four aces. So I need four aces. We're going to try to find them in different spots in the pack. First one should be right there. It should be the ace of hearts, like so. Uh, the next one should be about 27 cards down. It's the ace of spades. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, the next one is actually going to fly out of the pack like so. Looks like it just flicks out of there. It looks really cool on the camera, too. Uh, the next one is going to be a little more visual. So we're going to take out a random card like a deuce. Deuces are wild. Why? Because I make the trick. So watch. Take the deuce. Give it a little rub like so. And that should be the last one. That's <laughs> <laughs> one, two, three, four. That's kind of neat. Woo! It's freaking magic. All right. Um, this is going to be... All right. This is going to be kind of cool. We're going to show you a couple things. Now, <clears throat> these are a couple classics. Couple classics. This is an old routine that gamblers would use to basically practice cheating at cards. I know that doesn't make sense. I'm gonna show you guys. I only have four cards, only four aces right here. Now, the idea is the ace of spades is the leader card. I don't know why. It's literally what the book told me to tell you guys. Like, for some reason, the spade is always the most popular. All right. So we start with the spade. All right. Turn that back face down. All the cards start in the same direction. They're all face down. The idea is if I can turn each ace face up one at a time without you seeing it, it'd be pretty amazing. Now I know contextually it doesn't make sense, like how would that help you cheat the cards? It's more of just a feel thing. It's if I can do this, what else can I do, right? So the first ace, snap your fingers, that's gonna turn face up, that's gonna be the diamond, right? Now that's kinda neat. Now no one's impressed yet, but if I make that diamond turn face down, and all of a sudden there's a club, that's kinda cool. Holy shnikes. Right? That's kinda <laughs> neat. Now the next one's gonna be a little more difficult because you guys are watching carefully. Snap my fingers, and that should be, that's the, the heart. All right, now, though, again, we started with the leader ace. That's the spade. The spade is going to be the hardest. We're going to start with all the aces facing the same direction. And you guys can see that's one, two, three, and four. All right? Watch. Little shake and snap, and that should be the spade right there. It's one, three, four. So that's How a little sleight of hand. How in the mother bear? Pure sleight of hand. Uh, <laughs> a lot of fun. Now, again, I, I'm really, I love doing this because, again, I, I'm usually walking around at tables and I'm having to basically perform out of my pocket, so having a table is nice. Uh, this is another little quick slight. Uh, here's the idea. We're going to use the red aces. So we're going to take the ace of hearts. We're going to place it face down on the table. We're going to take the ace of diamonds. We're going to place it on top. This is an old game. So the idea is I'm actually going to switch the diamond to the bottom. It's done. Everybody at home's like, there's no way. The diamond's on top. And I'm like, boom, I switch them back. And everybody at home laughs because that's a dumb joke, right? And I switch them, I switch them back, right? Nothing happens. <laughs> right? It's a dumb joke. But if I get them up here, people start freaking out because they're like, how in the world did that happen? Uh, the red black one's on the table. So that's freaking silly. Uh, and so I don't have a spectator. So this is what's really interesting about what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to show you guys have a lot of classic tricks without having somebody take a card out, right? A lot of card magic is you take the card out, I find the card, etc., etc. Um, so what I'm trying to do is I'm basically trying to adapt a couple different tricks so that you guys, you can watch at home, but you don't have to actually have to interact. Uh, you can basically just watch me show off, which is not what magic is about, but it is tonight. <laughs> uh, so this is, this is something that I, I didn't invent. This is a very classic trick, but it is my version of that trick so i was 16 years old and i was at a pizza place in franklin tennessee and a magician walked up to my table 
uh, and he showed me a version of this trick that I'm about to show you right here. And the idea is he had me take a playing card out, I placed it back in the pack, right, and then he began to shuffle the cards. He told me a story. He told me a story that he was at a party, and at that party, somebody was shuffling his playing cards, like so. Instead, they did something sneaky. So he actually turned around, he was talking to another guest, and the person who had his cards actually turned half the pack face up, and they turned half the pack face down, right? Then what they did was literally they shuffled the cards together. And if you guys, you can see this cool image. So this is what I love about magic. Magic is creates these cool images you guys can remember. So you can actually remember this image in your mind. You can remember that the cards are face up and they're face down. Right? And so what happened was the gentleman actually pushed all the cards together. Some of them were back to back like so. Right? And he had all the cards really mixed up. And they're all these weird directions. Right? Now, as a magician, this is not very nice to do, right? We don't need you guys to do this. Please don't do this. Please don't make my cards all face. It's not, it's not nice, right? Um, and also, I just want you guys to know that we don't have any social lives as magicians, so I'm probably prepared for whatever you're about to do. Um, so no, so he, he showed me this trick, right? Now, in, in his trick, I had actually taken a playing card out. Because I don't have a spectator, no one's selected a card. So instead of having this, the selected card show up, I chose to use the aces, because that's kind of the theme we're using. We're using aces. So... Here's what happened. He took the cards and he basically waved his hand over the pack and he said, all the cards are now straight. They're all facing the same direction. And I'm like, no way, you know, blah, blah, blah. He goes, no, but one card is face down. The only card remaining is your card. And I'm, I'm freaking out, I'm like there's no way it's possible. So what I just did was I just turned all those cards facing the same direction. And now everybody at home's going, no, that's not possible. Except for four cards. And if you actually watch, every single card turns back facing the same direction. Every single card, except for that's one. Holy that's God, two. Oh, freaking that's mighty. Three. Are you freaking kidding me? And if I me? did this right, that's one. That's two. That's three. And the final one, that's four. Boom, that's like magic. The aces. The aces, they're <laughs> everywhere. It's the theme. <laughs> And so that's magic. Okay, so now, now, that being said, I have always wondered this. Yeah. Can, let's say you got that card, you got that stack of cards just like that right there. Mm -hmm. I come up. Yeah. And mess with them and shuffle them. Sure. Can you do a trick? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the man, it is based off a true story. That's what's funny. Um, and there's a guy named, uh, there's actually a magician out of Orlando <laughs> who fooled Penn and Teller um, doing that. He basically had Penn and Teller come up and he had them, them shuffle the cards. And he did, because that's a classic routine. That routine has been done a million different ways by a million different magicians and so it's yeah it's <laughs> there's one specific guy who does it so dang well uh it's fascinating but, but could i could, is there a trick that i mean is that possible to, to shuffle do, the cards yeah right like i could come up there shuffle the cards and you could still do i a wouldn't trick. do that exact one i just did but yeah i could do something you can you yeah anybody can shuffle these yeah for sure i was actually gonna ask you if you had a deck of cards uh, earlier one day we're gonna do one with your cards okay i actually did a, a party one time i walked into it was a bachelor party believe it or not not a bachelorette uh, but you do tired me to come by and do magic, uh, and we had a blast actually because they had a poker night set up. This this just changed to do it. It did change, thing. no, but they had a poker night set up. So I sat at the table and they already had cards, and I took their deck of cards and I did exactly exactly what you just saw, and they were just like, "What's going on?" Because I picked up their cards and did it. So what? Yeah. How much practice after you learn a trick does that take? Um, <laughs> so it's it's really interesting. So I'm I'm kind of the anomaly as far as magic goes, but like a typical what I do is 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 more freestyle. You know what I mean? I know a lot of songs, and I kind of just put them all together based on who's in front of me. Yeah. Um, 
what I'm doing in front of you right now, it, it legit took five, six, seven years. Like you're not going to even get close to what, you know, that's not a to my own horn. It's yeah. like, no, seriously, that, that certain thing I'm doing, it just takes practice, 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 practice. All right, do one more. Do one more, and then yeah, I want to have you sure. trick Phil. Because yeah, Phil, trick Phil. Phil. Uh, we can, I can trick doing Phil from here. No, we'll, do we'll do it from here. We'll do, a, we'll do a long distance trick. We'll do it from right here. Okay. Yeah, all right. So, Phil, uh, do you know playing cards pretty well? Yeah. Uh, that's good. All right, so we're going to eliminate the Ace of Spades and the Queen of Hearts. Right, and so psychologically speaking, the first two cards that uh, a person is going to think of is the Queen of Hearts and the Ace of Spades. Right, I really don't know why, but it's just what keeps happening over and over and over again to me. Um, Can I ask you a question? Yeah, do you know what the least thought of card is? Um, I don't. My guess it is is something. It's probably a six of something. Five of clubs. Is it really five of clubs? Interesting. I'm going to remember that now. I I didn't really didn't know. Would that that affect you in your magic trick? Well, going on, I will never choose a five of clubs again. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I do some, again, what I do is a very interesting combination. Of, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That really one went that. over my head. I had to catch it to bring it back. <laughs> Somebody just did that to me today. Uh, that, uh, that was funny as hell. So, all right, here's what we're going to do. Uh, Phil, right? Phil, uh, what, is, what, what month are you born in? November. November. All right. So what I'm going to do um, is I'm going to go a little bit low on the camera just so I can, um, so people can see. Right there. So I'm going to go a little low. Can everybody see? Hi. Okay. <laughs> All right, Phil, we're going to try something. Um, we're going to take a I want you to name a card out loud so everybody can hear you on the cast, uh, but not between the arch of the ace of space. I'm going to stay right here so I think I'm cheating. Three of diamonds. Now, here's my question. Before the three of diamonds, were you thinking of an eight? No. Sometimes I get that right. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here, stand up. Here, you can stand, stand up. No, 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 this is perfect. This you is sure? Perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I think so. Yeah, so I put a card uh, in my pocket as soon as we started this trick. Do you remember that card? Yeah. I didn't show it to you, did I? No. Nope. Um, <laughs> is that the one? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird sitting down, but you know we did it. You know, it that the look, the, the smile on your face looks like a ten-year-old kid who just <laughs> landed at the ca- biggest candy store. Do it again. <laughs> that was awesome. So most of the stuff you're doing though is like it's sleight of hand. There's not it's not mathematical. Stuff. I personally I mean, don't do anything with math, um, yeah. and I say that with honest. There's a weird integrity thing with magic where you try to be as honest as possible without giving away the secret. Um, yeah, everything I'm doing is psychological or... Well, I'm not um, asking you to give me right. the secret. No, 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 but, no, but you know, you're right, though. It's interesting because people say that, like, oh, can you count cards? And I'm like, no, I, I legitimately, I'm going to be honest with you. I yeah. can't. I don't do that. And that actually, I think, adds to the magic because you know I'm literally, like, I'm being totally honest with you. I don't do anything math related. All right. Yeah. Hey, cut the music just for a little bit, please, <clears throat> for this next, what I'm about to say. Yeah. Can you walk us through... A, a classic, you know, just a newbie, just for people that you know. what I'm saying like sleight of hand type stuff. Teach a trick. Is there one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I could teach that. Basic. Get, I mean, I don't know how magicians will feel about it. But they'll they'll get over it. Yeah, you need to get punched. In no, I, I mean, I don't want anything like you know. No, it's super simple. No, I'll teach you because the best thing I love about it is I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna teach you one and then I'm gonna show you the exact same trick without using it and it's gonna I'm without using that method. Oh, oh I yeah, got you. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, I do need somebody, though, to come up here and help me. You come up here, Phil? Just get up there, Phil. It's super simple. It's super Phil simple. Uh, is for Titan Motoring Sports. He's one of our uh, favorite. I love it. Right. <laughs> Had to get it in once. Had to right. get it in once. Okay. Put the picture on the screen. All right. Okay. So um, here's what I want to happen. Uh, I want you to um, – can you shuffle these cards up? Yep. Yeah, yeah, mix them up. So Phil's going to shuffle the cards up. Um, 
and I'm gonna teach you guys a really basic magic trick. Um, it's a lot of fun, and it is gonna be pretty magical, believe it or not. A lot of a lot of magic is. So there's something magic. They say it's that the uglier the method, the simple or the the prettier the trick. And so a lot of you guys at home are like, I want to know how it's done. I'm like, you don't want to know how it's done because it's not pretty. And uh, <laughs> so he shuffled the cards out, right? Um, he's gonna pl uh, he's gonna take any card out he wants. I'm not gonna look. Everybody knows I'm not looking. Chris is gonna keep me honest. All right. So I'm looking down here right now. I'm looking <laughs> All right. Now he's gonna place it back. All right, so you play, you play to a deck, and I'm gonna put it back there. Uh, would you would you give those cards a cut for me? Just you you can cut them, and I'm not looking. Everybody at home doesn't know my eyeballs. When my eyeballs are not looking, I'm looking away. So you got you got a good cut right there. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna try something. So so he took a, he shuffled the cards. He took a card out. He put it back in the deck, um, and now I'm gonna spread the cards on the table like so. Now uh, Phil, hold your finger out like this like so. Now I'm gonna take his finger like this. Now you guys can't see these cards exactly. Do, 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 do. What we're gonna do is we're gonna try to get a feeling. He's looking at the cards. He's looking at the cards. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bring some down here. No, no. That should be right there. Boom. <laughs> so, so we know he's playing right there, right? So we got So it's freaky, right? I know. And now he's gonna be really pissed on how this works. And then I'm gonna do it again in a second, right? And I'm gonna show you a different way to do it, right? Because and again, everybody at home thinks that I saw the card or some sort. So um, we're gonna teach a super simple uh, trick. So anybody at home who wants to learn this, um, it is dead simple. Uh, it, it uses one. <sighs> beautiful, beautiful thing, and it is knowing what the bottom card of the deck is, and that is the key to the entire trick. So the entire trick revolves around the fact that I know what the bottom card is. That's it. That's all how the trick works, and I'll show you exactly what I mean. So, uh, bottom card, right? It's right. gonna be can the, Phil sit down. Yeah, Phil can sit down. Yeah, get, yeah. get he just really, really making me nervous. No. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna teach something real quick. So nine of spades. We know nine of spades is the bottom. So what happened was he shuffled the cards up. Right, he handed them back to me, and all I did was peek. I just looked, so I know that's an eight of, eight of hearts, right? So now what happens is somebody's going to take a playing card out, so they'll take out like the five, right? Now all you're going to do is you're going to cut the cards. You're going to put the top half of the deck on the table. Boom. Now what does that position the bottom card in my hand? Now once he places his card back on top right there, I drop that bottom card, right? Eight of hearts, smack dab on top. So where's his card? Right under the eight. That's simple. And so now what happens is he cuts the cards. doesn't matter if he cuts them. He's not shuffling. He's not shuffling the cards. If he shuffles, it messes the trick up. Now, you can cut the cards as much as you want because you're not going to separate those two playing cards. When I spread the cards, you can see I'll go ahead and find my eight. Where's my eight? Where's my eight? Where's my eight? Oh, there it is. So five of diamonds right next to the eight. That simple. Right. What if, so what if by card, chance right? he cut that yeah, deck if, right um, on the right that card? That is when you better be a good magician. Uh, happens. Yeah. It just happens. You know, yeah. but it's it's so far and few between. It's so uh, a normal cut. If he just cuts it one time, the odds are so slim. Um, and uh, that's I mean, it, there's so many. Again, well, if I, you cut it right in right at that card, then it's just going to be at the. It would be at the very top, right? Yeah. yeah. So if you cut exactly at the eight, the eight would now be back at the bottom. His card would be on top. And so you'd have to be, be fast to know that. Those I mean, two no. Now are... I mean, not really. I mean, again, honestly, it's not going to happen that much. You don't even have to have them cut the cards if you don't want to. Literally, just drop them back on the top of the deck, turn them over, spread them out. They, uh, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's still, still amazing. a good trick. It's a great trick. People love that. So you can hold their hand. You're reading their. You can play it up all you want. Now, I got go one thing. Yeah. Before, when you threw the cards back on top, yeah, they kind of went. Sure. The shoveled, I mean, right? Yeah. So, I mean... You that, just... I mean, you can literally just don't be dramatic like me. Right, but you were dramatic, and my point to you is... Yeah. Has that ever got you before? Um, no, I mean, like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proficient with cards, so <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it's just, it's just one of those things. Like, <laughs> uh, did we I, get that on camera? <laughs> that's gonna be in the real. 
<laughs> thought it was. I just um, realized that my back of my head looks like a dog's butt. No, so let me show you. Let me show you. Okay, so let me let me let me let me get even harder. Um, so this time, all right, uh, <laughs> we're making it even harder on myself. All right, so I do need somebody to shuffle again. Um, I'll do it. So I'll Chris, do it. Chris is gonna shuffle. Yeah. Um, come up here and shuffle. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. I'm not gonna look, and I want everybody to know that I'm not looking. Um, and so Chris is gonna. So just gonna like, I, yeah, you shuffle as much as you want. Yeah, shuffle as much as you want. All right. Now, has anybody has anybody ever taken a card out of the deck before? You know, where yeah, yeah, they they have definitely done that. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. People try to mess with you. I shuffled so much better than you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you you <laughs> shuffle. No, come here, come here, come here, come here. You shuffle these playing cards, right? Yeah. Pretty. I don't want people to see me in my shorts, but. <laughs> All right, no, no, it's okay. Um, so here's what we're gonna do. I want you to just say stop as I go through the cards. Stop. Can you you good with that? Do you want to change your mind? No, stop. All right, okay. Take a look at the card. All right, now show it to the camera. Don't let me see. Now just tell everybody I'm looking away. I'm looking away. All right, now I want you to put the card back as I go through. Ah. Put it back and then shuffle. So now there's no BS, right? So I didn't put the card back. I didn't control anything. He shuffled. He took the card out. He put it back wherever he wanted, and then he shuffled. So there's no key cards. There's no BS. There's no blah, 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 blah. And you can see, right, all the cards are mixed up by you, right? Yeah. Um, now the question is, can I find the card? Right? So no key cards. Yeah, I've, I've proven that's not a thing. Um, here's what I should do. Hold your hand out for me, flat. Uh, we're going to take out – actually, just take your finger like this. Take your finger like this. Perfect. Uh, we're going to take out King of Hearts. Where is that King of Hearts right there? All right. Uh, we're going to place it on the table. Put your finger on top of it. Now, I could go through the pack, right? And I could do something sneaky. Maybe think people think I'm doing that. This is where magic comes into play. Watch this. Turn that card over. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yes. <laughs> so it's weird. It's right. <laughs> that is insane. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right, now show us how you did that. Can't do it. Uh, ah, that's, that's, um, I thought I could sneak it by him. The thing is I can do that. I mean, I could do that in like four or five different ways. That was just the version. I don't know. Again, magic's it's amazing, bro. How I do you... It, uh, like, it's, it's such a... So how do you learn then? I mean, if it's such a kind of a, a pact... Right. You know, um, um, where do you where do guys learn tricks? So how do you even get started if a magician won't teach so, you anything? Yeah, it, it, it actually uh, used come, to you, be... You want to do any more or you want to come back? No, I'm good if you're done. Yeah, yeah done let's, let's talk. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk. Mr. Long, check, check. Boom. Nah, yeah. So the uh, the internet changed the game. So there there are guys that are kind of like that that magicians kind of hate because they are putting out secrets on YouTube channels and things. Or it's, it's such a complicated. It's so weird right now. Um, yes, for sure. There's always going to be a small percentage of guys who are taking it too far. Um, it. it it did two things. One, it did give access to a lot of younger guys. Uh, it, it gave access to information that we didn't have before, which is always a good thing. Um, I think that there's always this kind of like this balance where it did force a lot of guys to get better and do things that were outside of the box because things were being revealed and you can find so much information out there. Uh, but again, the stuff's so old. Like there are books. I mean, you can buy on Amazon now. Um, guys make a list. So the, the other part of magic that nobody understands and nobody sees is people developing tricks and people who don't perform. There's guys who, um, this is not disrespectful at all, who who are not good entertainers. They're just not. They're yeah. not good in front of people. And so, but they're brilliant. There's a kid, uh, Colin Morelli, who he started. He started basically producing magic like 17. He was he was putting out tricks for other magicians to use. Um, he is a good performer, but the kid is literally brilliant. He's just brilliant, right? He's just he the way he designs tricks and comes up with things like that's not how my brain works. I don't I don't I don't create magic. I use classics and I adapt them. Um, and so 
talking about learning, like it's a lot of old books that, um, specifically me that I learned from that you can still get and you have, inf you have access to, you just don't necessarily know they exist. You know what I mean? It's weird. Like it used to, yeah. So Phil knows what's going on tonight. He knows that you <clears throat> are a magician slash thief <laughs> at this point in time. Right. How I'm watching this watch. And then, and, and are you looking at that watch going, not that one? Um, it's a circumstance. It's less about the watch and more about the circumstance. Yeah. Um, again, misdirection is a weird thing. And what I do specifically, like I, I try to tell people was like, it's just not, I got, I got thrown to the wolves so early professionally, which was a blessing that I just, I do what I call commercial magic and commercial magic is magic that works for real people in real time. Right. And so a lot of what I do um, is very situational. And so I have this, this script in my head, this, this, you know, box of tricks and I'm only going to do them when the time's right. You know what I mean? And so it's a weird thing. Cause like my knowledge history wise, isn't necessarily like, I'm not one of those, you know, I studied magic for, you know, since I was 12 and I always knew I was going to be a pro. I just like, I love people and magic happened to be the tool that gets me in front of people. Yeah. And so I have this weird, like the way I perform magic is so it seems sporadic, but it's very, it's got controlled chaos. It's like, I have this bag and it's very old magic. It's old card stuff. I studied a lot of old close up guys. Um, and I just, I've learned hardcore from 16 to 22 for six years straight and then kind of backed off of it. And so I've basically just worked on people for so long and that's what real professional magicians do is like controlling an audience. Um, basically being entertaining, being funny is so much more important than how good you are skillfully. It really is. It's, and it doesn't make sense until you get there and you're like, well, damn, I can do that. I can just drop the, you know, I can do the key card trick. Like I just showed you, I could do that for, I could, somebody could pay me five, six thousands of dollars and I could show up with that trick because I'm entertaining. Right. I could do that exact trick, which is a, it's a, the most basic magic trick and I could get away with it because I, I understand oh, the other I side of saying. it. That's right. Yeah, I don't, I, all the stuff I did with the shuffling, I don't even show that. I don't even use it half the time. I have the most, like all the skills in my bag. I half the time I don't use. Yeah. They're just not there. Like yeah, I, I know that feeling. Exactly. <laughs> it, Woo, it, let me tell you. It's crazy how, yeah. No, with, I'm only about 50% of most of my shows. Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> No, well, music though it's a thing. Like, is your your pigeonholed, and to some degree, a little bit. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, because you know, especially, I I kind of relate though in the sense that you know, me and Andy have been playing together for going on nine or ten years now, playing the same tunes, and yep. it's really about what we do at the show that making fun of people and having a good time or whatever. It's the whole thing until they write a letter. <laughs> until they write a letter. Um, it, thank you. Yeah. What a neat no. thing. I want you back on. We got to do this yeah, again. No, and I'm going to have, yeah. I understand more now how the camera set yeah, used to be. Although I will say this if I put you on the spot, mm -hmm. this is what I found interesting. Right. If I put you on the spot right now, how do you trick him? Trick him with the watch specifically? No, or just not the watch. Just oh, like while like, I'm sitting when, here. You know, like some people are always like, uh, you know, Chris, uh, you got there's a guitar, for instance, or whatever. Uh, right, play a right, song. Right, right, hey, you're a comedian. Say something funny. Yeah, say something funny. Like, how would you. That, my thing is how you're able to get into things so quickly. That that's yeah. you know with me or even Andy. I mean, Andy could pick up a guitar and then we just start playing chords and singing, mm -hmm. right? There's no, there's no, you know, there's no uh, getting things together or misdirection or whatever. It's just right. our talent is doing that. Right. But misdirection. I mean, you kind of, I go like, play, give trick him right now. All right. Just, I mean, just do a card trick. 
Yeah, just like you pull yeah. it out of there and you just like get, yeah, make him. <laughs> I want to see that smile, that shit-eating grin on his face one more time. Yeah. Before we leave. Uh, so before we he, go to the uh, other place and play darts, right. which is going to happen. That sounds pretty awesome. All right, so he's going to take a card out. So you grab one out. Uh, I won't look. Look over here. There's Sidra. All right, show the camera and everybody, blah, blah, blah. Got it. Oop. All right, we're going to uh, show, show, show it again there. Uh, yeah, show, it, show it back over there. All right, then you're going to put it back for me. Uh, and then I'm gonna shuffle the card. I'm gonna shuffle the card, try, trying to be on the mic and do card tricks. It's interesting. I uh, dropped a card. That's there not, it was. There was his card. That was the that next was turn. That'd have been 52. cool though. It's not it. It's not it. That's not the card. All right. It's not on bottom though, is it? That's not it. Nope. No. Nope. No. Nope. Uh, and I'm pretty positive. Um, that's not it either. Nope. That'd been that'd been cool. All right. So he said, "How do I trick him?" Um. Well, again, I have. That's what. That's a beautiful thing about magic, opposed to um, comedy or whatever. Whatever. It's like I just all I need is this. You know what I'm saying? So check us out. It's gonna be weird. Um. We're gonna do a half gainer. Like that. <laughs> With a twist, one car is gonna fly out. Let's see if I can do this. Mm. Ooh, boom! If I can do this on camera, uh, four diamonds. Nope. Oh, wait. Seriously, that wasn't his. That wasn't his no. card. It was it close. Uh, it, it, I'm not horseshoes, hand grenades no, with cards. No. Here, touch it for me. See if he touches it. See, it starts getting a little remembering. See, it <laughs> Jeez, oh my it is. god! Uh, just like that, I thought he bombed <laughs> and then he crushes it. Yes. Uh, the false ending is a classic. Oh, it's just too good. God. Gets me every time. I mean, that is just makes me want to find a new girlfriend. <laughs> you know, that's that's. I mean, that's how amazing it is. And he's all right. Andrew's amazing. Everything. Well, that's the problem he's with amazing. everybody's doing these virtual shows now. And I'm like, dude, I just it ain't me, man. Like, I love doing this. This is brilliant because it's not a show. You know, I don't have to sit there for 30, 45 minutes. But it just you got to be in front of people, me, man. It, there are people that. Yeah. listen to this at once and and also say it's not a show so you're you're absolutely right <laughs> you know what i mean wow oh, you wow. know what i mean I, what a, this has been a great yeah it's been fun great night other than the one little hiccup that was completely andy's fault uh you know <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. we'll do it again i love how the music relates to the magic relates to the acting relates to the arts uh, i mean what a neat a what a neat thing but uh shit this is this was uh <laughs> this was neat um Next week, we got Jared Neiman back on the show with us. We're going to talk about false memories. False memories Ooh, next week. That's a good also one. relates you, to magic. I know. You <laughs> Sean, Sean Mears, our mu musical guest. I should have probably asked Andy if, he, if he's all right with her first. And, uh, <laughs> and Andy, Andy Lieb in the house. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Andy Lieb. And what? then Titan Motoring uh, in the house. Any, any you, specials? Let, let me ask you this. We never do talk about this. Are there things that people can go to your website if they don't live in Nashville and 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 order? I mean, is there thing? Do you have that type of thing or no? Uh, yeah. I mean, we're doing builds for people that don't even live anywhere close to us. So we like we, my dad has a Corvette. He brings it down. Yeah, you do your thing. Yeah, we transport then, we transport them in. Absolutely, you we, do. Yeah. Oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Uh, dad, don't even think about it. We live on a fixed income. We've surprisingly actually got a, a job from our YouTube series that we've been doing. No way. From out of state, yeah. Look. <laughs> bring it one more oh, time. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, oh. Magic. Magic. Damn, Do you damn Google. Magic. Damn, Google. Andy, I'm kicking your ass after the show. <laughs> uh, Guidance Whiskey, Aurora Nutriscience. Uh, who else do we got? Who else is up there? Hertz Audison. Uh, what else? Am I missing anything? Uh, Titan Motoring. Uh, Sony Mobile, holy shit, that was yep. a big one. Uh, and Verdoliac Law Group, and and uh, we thank you for our sponsors. Uh, 
thank you guys. Mike Smith doing the magic. We'll put your sure. link in the in the thing. Tight motoring it. link in there. We're gonna get dad's I think if we sell enough cans, dad collects <laughs> enough cans up in West Virginia, we'll get that down here in about uh in about hundred years. Andy, thank you so much. Hi, you're welcome. Right, we'll see you next week on how valid is the validity. <laughs> war was over. Soldiers were going home. These four Americans were the last to be evacuated, more than 2,400 POWs, on a troop vessel called the Sultana. It's now two o'clock in the morning. The voyage is underway. And there was an explosion. Number three boiler had blown, sending a blast of metal fragments through the vessel's midsection. Many soldiers and crew were killed instantly. They were the lucky ones. A raging fire swept the Sultana. Her captain, jolted awake, rushed on deck. He was greeted by steam and smoke-licking flames. Many of the bodies tossed high in the air by the explosion were even then raining down on the deck in pieces amidst the debris. Troops able to jump the rail and swim into the distant darkness had done so. Anything that floated was swarmed by the fleeing until it and those clinging to it went down. And meanwhile, strong winds swept toward the Sultana's stern. The night air was alive with the cries of the burning and the drowning. And finally, after what seemed forever. 263-foot, 1,720-ton vessel had extinguished its own hell, had slipped beneath the black waters. What I've just related was foreseeable. In fact, it was foreseen, for an officer on board had actually received a report from his own clerk that the Sultana was overaged, overcrowded, probably would never reach port. And the report was correct in all accounts. The vessel was a freighter to begin with, had never been meant to carry more than 376. Yet there may have been 2,500 troops aboard that terrible April morning, and 100 civilians, and a crew of 80. The Sultana was long overdue for an inspection and a refit, anything but shipshape. But the war was over, and with the relief came carelessness, and in carelessness was consumed the Sultana. By the way, the, the history books, many of them, are quite wrong. They say that 1,450 died in the Sultana disaster. The official United States Customs report on the matter, the official report, sets the death count at 1,547. That's important. Because that's 30 more than drowned when the Titanic went down. I said that's 30 more than drowned on the Titanic. That makes this tragedy, the one I just relived with you, perhaps the most devastating maritime disaster in all history, even though technically it wasn't a maritime disaster at all. For the Sultana was not a ship. It was a steamboat on the Mississippi River. It was transporting Union prisoners of war from Vicksburg. She blew up, caught fire, went down two hours north of Memphis in the early morning of April 27, 1865. But hardly anybody noticed. Because just the day before, John Wilkes Booth, Lincoln's assassin, was himself shot and killed. And that's what folks were reading about. And that's what folks were talking about. Over the years since, the Mississippi has changed course, it is now flowing at least a mile west of where the Sultana was destroyed, which means that the Union soldiers who died with her are now sleeping somewhere beneath a field of soybeans, honored by a modest granite marker in nearby Elmwood graveyard, victims of the most costly maritime tragedy in history. And it all occurred a little more than 100 yards from shore. Now you know the the rest of the story.